0: Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Buds. My name is Max Scrim and Ruby. I will be your host. Today is episode number one with Jack Greenstock from Southern California. He's a consultant, a home grower, and a master grower. This is the first episode. We do have a couple technical difficulties and have to switch recording devices, so I apologize for that. There uh, was a little bit of lag, but it is episode one, like I said. We're going to get past it and improve, so I appreciate you guys sticking through it and checking out the episode. If you could please uh, rate, review, and subscribe, that'd be awesome. So, this is our first guest, uh, Jack Greenstock from Southern California. Uh, Jack, what do you... uh, what kind of part do you play in the industry?
1: So I'm a home grower. I'm also a consultant and I'm going to be a lead cultivator or, uh, the technical label is actually master grower here pretty soon for a few greenhouses and a facility in uh, Southern California.
0: All right. That's pretty cool. Uh, so is that going to be starting, uh, next season then, or are you full the year?
1: They're building right now. They got the permit from the state that took the longest, but, um, the thing that we had for a while was the city permit which is actually one of the harder things to get but thankfully we got approved by the water board fish and game gosh there's so many things we had to apply through but i helped them with a lot of the application process and uh, thankfully we're approved and they're building the property it was a open field so they're doing a lot of development so no rush i think uh better to do it properly than uh, to rush it
0: Yeah, for sure, especially in California, because I have heard they have tons of regulations and little hoops that you got to jump through.
1: Um, Yep, yep. It's uh, definitely a lot of red tape, but uh, we're doing what we have to do, and it's going to be a light deprivation greenhouse. At first, we're going to start off with just uh, sun-grown, and then later on, we'll be adding LED for uh, light assistance.
0: Okay, so are you guys just going to start right outside, or are you going to have um, a little head start and do some indoor growing and put them outside.
1: The plan is we're going to have a place for seedlings for mothers and clones that will have light. So a greenhouse that has some racks with uh, LED lighting. And that's where we'll pop our seeds, have our clones and our mothers kept. And then those will get moved out to the four production greenhouses. Awesome.
0: So uh before we started i was talking to you about your harvest that you just started um i heard you got a little experiment going on you want to tell us about it
1: yeah so i've got a few different devices that i've actually acquired for free fortunate for myself um on 420 when i got married to lady greenstock shout out to lady greenstock my lovely wife and constant companion she's awesome she's over in the next room uh, smoking on our harvest but i won the curador which is a uh, not even being sold anymore. They have a curador 2.0, but I got the 1.0 XL Mendo Dope Edition, which for those who don't know, it's a curador, like a humidor for curing cannabis. Um, it is a, basically like a wine fridge or um, there's like some photography equipment cabinets that control temperature and relative humidity. So it's not unique in what it does. Nice. It controls the temp and relative humidity. I can set it between 55 and 65 uh, temperature Fahrenheit and the relative humidity is automatically kept within proper range of 58 to 60% uh, RH. So I have mine set to 60 degrees and 60% RH and uh, it works out really, really well. I thought I wouldn't be able to give a review this soon. I've had it for maybe like almost two months, but the stuff that I've been getting from like my buddy's harvest that I would normally keep in like a dark cabinet as cool as I could, but not refrigerated by any means. um, I can tell it preserves the terpenes much better, but I'm using that to cure some of the cannabis from my last harvest as well as um, a device called My Herbs Now, which one of my listeners was kind enough to uh, send me because they tried one, really enjoyed it, and they said, hey, we want you to try one. And uh, thankfully, not having to pay for it, I feel like I'm able to give a more unbiased review. Um, even though like the company didn't sponsor me, I got it from a third party. Right. I think I'm trying my best to uh, give it a fair review. And I actually just had my first smoke test last night from the Herbs Now, bud, the other stuff. Yeah, how was uh, it? It was actually, it blew me away. I was a skeptic. When I first saw it, I thought, you know, you should never rush a process, especially after like you grew a plant start to finish and you tried everything you could to make it the best quality possible. I never rushed the chop. I never rushed anything else in the process. So I figured, why should I rush the dry? But he had terpene tests where he got 6% terpenes in his Herbs Now device and he only got 4% terpenes when he did the hang dry for 14 days at 60% relative humidity and 60% Fahrenheit. And that's the like gold standard. I typically couldn't even hang at that cool of a temperature. But now with the Curador, I'm able to do at least partial harvest in the Curador. But that being said, the herbs now, it says like within 94 hours is what they recommended. I had to go a little longer because I watered my plant, Doc Holidays by uh, Subcool, the Huckleberry cookies okay. to Hellfire OG. And I watered it probably the morning that I chopped it. And, um, You know, it just had a lot more moisture in there than I typically would. I'd normally let it dry out before harvest. But I wasn't sure if it was going to need to go another day or two. And uh, just, I was waiting on like one of the top colas had a few white stigmas or pistols, hairs, whatever people want to call it, (laughs) sticking out (laughs) the top. And like three out of the four top colas were orange and like curled in on themselves. And all the shoulder nugs and bottom nugs were orange. But I just start turning a little bit orange so I could harvest it. Uh, the trichomes were all in the right area pretty milky uh, some amber so i chopped it and uh tried that herbs now out and we're about a hundred plus hours out now from when i chopped it which i would never normally smoke something this early it'd be no too, wet, <laughs> too much chlorophyll <laughs> kind of tastes gross and harsh but i'll be damned if uh it didn't blow me away there's a dude eagle gardens one on instagram he tried one and he was telling me that he'd give stuff to people at cups or his patients, and none of them ever complained or noticed any difference. They, In fact, many of them were like, wow, this is amazing flavor. I was actually surprised that it actually tastes and smells a lot more like the live plant than I would get when I was hang drying. Like, I had pretty good flavor when I hang dried, but I do think that the herbs now might even be better than my hang dry. I don't have any lab tests, but like Grow Eat Easy did lab testing. Third-party person, three out of the four tests they won because they did two, um, they did a hang dry, 14 days, 60-60, and then a herbs now test for two different plants. The herbs now had more THC in both tests, more terpenes in one of the tests, and it had less terpenes in one of the tests. But the one that had less terpenes, and it had a full percent higher THC. So I do That's think crazy. that there is uh, some benefit to it.
0: Yeah, I I've also looked into my herbs now, and he does say that you can actually um, partially cut down your plant or chop your plant, cure some of it, or dry it. And then go back, let the others finish, like what's left, probably the lowers, because it finished usually low uh, later. So, I mean, that might be a benefit, definitely for home
1: growers. I thought about doing that, but my, uh, my lowers had finished up, thankfully, uh, adequately enough. The way that I pruned the plant and shaped it, the light was able to get down to the lower uh, portion enough that they finished roughly at the same time as the top. But I do agree that certain people, depending on how they pack their canopy or the shape of the plant, it is nice to like harvest the top, dry those out, and then let those lowers finish up, get a little bit more weight on them, and uh, harvest them later. I personally have never tried that. I've heard of people doing it and they actually really like it. Some people, especially outdoor, do that. They harvest the top layer, then let the next layer basically plump up like it's the tops.
0: Products in the industry that I'm curious about, um, that being one. So I'm glad that I could hear uh, what you definitely thought about it. And I mean, if you had to pick one, what do you think is better? The hang dry? The curador or the my herbs now.
1: Well, for me, I'd say the my herbs now because, uh, as far as comparing it to the hang dry, even if they were the exact same, which, like, let's say um, I didn't do a hang dry at all on that plant, nice. I'm going to do some hang dry for my next plant, the uh, three point stance that's still growing. But with the herbs now, I have a um, what's it called? I have a, a tent that I can grow in now. If I harvest all my plants and I'm drying in my herbs now. Now I can take my plants from the bedroom into my flower space and start to flip them and flower. And if I would compare it to what I did hang drying, which was usually about two weeks, uh, anywhere from seven to 14 days drying, but let's just call it two weeks on the long end. Right. That's two weeks times four harvests per year. That's eight weeks total. That's a whole harvest every year that I'm gaining by using the herbs now. And I was shocked because I can actually like enjoy my smoke four or five days later where before i'd have to wait two weeks jar it up and then wait another month for it to cure and i'd try it like at a week two weeks three weeks while i was curing and try and find it when it was the best time but um i'm just kind of shocked i'm um, since it came out of the herbs now i threw it in a jar and i have put it in the curador so that being said i'm definitely benefiting from it being at 60 degrees and 60 percent rh even after it came out of the herbs now but i think uh there's definitely a huge benefit to yeah, it's having that device crazy. um I didn't see the, you know i didn't do anything fancy i just set it on my kitchen table it was running i, I didn't see on some white papers, like a 75 that, degree room um,
0: it will decrease uh in flavonoids and you know tac content pretty fast actually a lot faster than what it would normally do i don't know if that has something to do with how fast it dries or what but um He posted on his live. Which so. white
1: paper? Because I, I haven't seen any. So we are talking about my herbs now and the flavonoid potentially being lost. And I would believe that because um, it runs at, I took my laser temperature thermometer and shot it in there. And it runs between like 75 and 80 degrees. My room was about 75. Uh, I didn't take any measurement of the relative humidity. But um, if there was any hay smell at all, it was, I did a, Lady Greenstock actually dry trimmed it for me after it was done drying. But the only time I smelled any bits of like what I would consider like that hay smell was around okay. the driest leaf that wasn't trimmed off yet, like a yellow leaf that I probably could have plucked before I put it in there. Like a, I didn't even remove any big fan leaves. I just put it in, uh, harvested the entire branches and threw it in there with all the leaves on there. So- um,
0: I know he talks about using the stem still to uh, check and see if Definitely. it's finished, which is kind of interesting to me that that's still the method to find out if it's, you know, perfectly dry to get that snap
1: i think he does that to prevent mold because if you put it in a jar and seal it before the stem is snapping there's enough moisture in the stem that will release back into the buds that can cause mold in the jar and that's his number one thing is he doesn't want people to ever lose their harvest um so for the people that don't know that and maybe would be better off going uh if they wanted to preserve the most terpenes maybe instead of drying it till the stem snapped do sort of what i did where i dried until the stems cracked and we're like peeling there's still a little bit of moisture in there and you could go into a brown paper bag at that point to let some of that moisture out and then it sort of equalizes the instead of going kind of it feels a little crunchy on the outside um you know just like at the end of a hang dry the buds feel a little crunchy on the outside and i would always do that brown paper bag technique to equalize some of the moisture from the stem into the buds and it kind of gave it a little bit better texture and from that point it would be able to go into the jar Um,
0: I mean, do you do you like rather trim dry or uh, rather trim after it's dry, or do you wet trim? Is there a method that you prefer?
1: I've done both. Um, I personally prefer to do, and I, I, again, like I said, Lady Greenstock actually trims for me. I have pretty bad arthritis in both hands. I've broken every single finger in both hands playing football growing up, so <laughs> my hands get locked up after like half an hour of trimming. So I'm a pretty shit trimmer, but. And she just does a better job. She's faster and it comes out looking way better than I do. So I just let her take care of that. But we figured out that as far as getting the best smell earliest on, I found dry trimming provides the best smell. When I did the wet trim, I feel like some of the VOCs, the volatile organic compounds, whether it's chlorophyll or other stuff, it sort of like leaks out of the leaf as you're snipping it and it kind of gets onto the bud. And I feel like that leads to a hay smell or like a cut grass smell and it goes away. Um, after you cure for a while and then your buds will start to smell like the fruity or gassy or whatever uh, strain that you grew but that early kind of uh, unpleasant smell just sort of drove me away from wanting to do the wet trim so I've always been more of a dry trimmer for that reason even though I think it's a little more difficult Lady Green Greenstock like I said she's she used to be a trimmer like doing pounds for like work so I uh, am very fortunate to have somebody like that be able to take down my small um, grow personal harvest in a day easily.
0: I mean, that's pretty cool though. Cause then you grow it, you know, you're the professional grower and she can trim it up and you both can use the medicine. So
1: we definitely both benefit from it greatly. Um, this last one I grew doc holidays is crazy. It gets me super, super stony. <laughs> uh, I probably would say it's not the more functional medicine because you forget we were just talking about like five minutes ago or like I asked her a question, she looked at me and like, didn't respond and I just like had to ask her again like she's never that way so I was like wow this stuff is uh it's good strong potency and a good pain reliever but definitely an interesting one it's super super fuel uh heavy on the smell like gasoline and then it's got sort right. of a cushy like if you've ever had like an Afghan kush or a Hindu Kush with that sort of cushy vibe underneath it I, I really am a big fan of it had like a pine cone-shaped bud for like the four main top colas. Looked like big fat pine cones. I was actually worried. Um, in the past when I had a bud of similar size with uh my spiked punch that I grew from Doja DNA, my biggest bud of the whole harvest was like an eleven point three gram top. And it was like a kind of nice fat pine cone sized bud. And when I finally got in there to the middle of the bud, it was like the one bud in the entire harvest that had a tiny bit of portritus Like the only one that I've lost any to a bud rot was a. Uh, just my biggest cola that I had like set aside to save for like 420 and when I finally started breaking into it the top of it was good the bottom of it was good the center had a bud rot right from the stem and on the inside of the middle bud part it was uh, quite a quite the shame to not be able to consume that some people would consume it I guess but uh I personally don't if I see it I'll I'll just toss it But I was just saying, yeah, like the Doc Holidays had those sort of pine cone buds and I was happy that the herbs now um, was able to dry them within 100 hours. And I haven't broken into the big buds yet, but smelling it and looking at it, I don't see any signs and the way that the bud feels and smells and looks. And the smaller buds have been smoking. I I usually go through the smaller buds first. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a nice security. I put the bigger buds on the bottom of the dryer and the smaller buds up on the top. And I left uh, stems from the part that I cut off of the plant. Uh, relatively the same size as the buds next to it like an empty stem so I can compare it to that stem and and see when it would crack because the stem on the bud I noticed is a lot harder to like kind of get in between the buds and crack it you definitely could I just didn't have enough buds to fill the entire thing to be honest with just the one plant I had um, the bottom tray was empty and then the one tray up from that I put all my big buds on where I had to take a spacer there's like a each thing is basically like a shelf and there's like five racks right so I had my buds on like the bottom rack, took the second or third rack out so that there was uh, space for the right, bud to fit. Because right. otherwise it would literally get squished by the rack up above it. It was too fat <laughs> to fit. So uh, I took that off. And then after there was enough space with the one shelf removed, then I put the, I had like one fat bud, but then a mainly smaller buds up on that top shelf. And uh, I like rotated them around and looked at them and kind of smelled them as the process go- was going on at like 24 hours. 48 hours and just kind of would kind of peek on them and see how they were doing throughout the process. And it didn't seem to have any negative effects on it. Uh, the device is kind of easy to take apart and put back together. And I only run intake and exhaust fans and uh, no AC, no dehumidifier running LEDs and sizing it appropriately and just running strong oh, enough yeah. fans. Oh, yeah. carbon. Thankfully I'm in California where there's a guy who lives two doors <laughs> down from me who has like Fox farm soil sitting out in his driveway. I'm like, I know what you're growing right. at. And uh, a lot of people here grow. I saw a meme one time where it's like this kind of like heavy guy in like a Hawaiian shirt. It's from a movie or something, but he's like, Hey everybody, this guy grows weed. And then he like the next panel is like him with his arms kind of up, like looking around and no one gives a face. And he's like, see, look, nobody cares. (laughs) And that's kind of how it is out here. I know that I sound really spoiled saying that because most places you have to really, really be paranoid and, and worry. And like I have a medical card from my same doctor that I've been seeing for the past, five six maybe seven years now and it's been the same exact person like my one and only doctor it's not like i go to a special you know you can't go to a, a special like cannabis doctor and uh, they are one of the people that tends to be considered one of those people because they write a prescription we had proposition 215 um my law for where i'm at is If you need it, like I I asked for, because I wanted to hold on to more clones and things like that. If I I wanted to do some breeding, I needed to hold on to more plants. Everyone's allowed six out here for recreational. But if you're medicinal, I think everyone gets 12. Uh, It used to be up to 99. uh, But since Prop 64 came for the rec legalization, they rolled back a lot of the medical stuff. But one of the lines in the medical thing says uh, limits exemption. So if a garden... It needs to have more plants than is permitted which is 12 then the doctor can give a limits exemption and it says the patient can grow the garden to the size of their needs so there's no plant count it's just how many you need and i'm actually more limited by the size right, of my right. space i can't cultivate outside because of the law in my city even if it's in a locked greenhouse even if it's out of sight even if it doesn't smell even if it's behind fences so i have to grow indoor unfortunately um, i think it's fortunate because the quality right, that you right. can control inside is great and you can produce amazing medicine inside. But I think it's just unfortunate that you're only sort of pigeonholed into the one thing. But if I'm going to be, uh, I'd like to have the unlimited plant count so I can hold on to clones that work for me and not have to grow them every single time. Like I'll pop it in. If maybe I got too many males in a regular seed pop, I'll grab like, oh, my cherry pie that helps me sleep. And have that fill a space where. So we are recording now. We picked up where we're left. I guess we can pick up where we left off, which I was talking a little bit about what I like about purple strains and cultivars. And that was the fact that many of them have high amounts of beta-caryophylline, a terpene that's commonly uh, good for reducing inflammation, which helps a lot of people with arthritis like myself. And it also has high amounts of humulene, which uh, has been found to decrease uh, inflammation as well as decrease appetite, interestingly enough. But uh, there's also lots of anthocyanin, which is what makes the strains end up turning purple so just wanted to kind of finish up that thought from where we were talking a little bit earlier for those who don't know we had some technical difficulties so this is the first show that's kind of understandable with uh starting a new podcast uh i believe that it'll be edited out before it gets posted live but hey that's all part of the deal you know it's all good stuff
0: so um Let's talk about purples a little bit, because I know there's a couple ways to manipulate the plant to uh, get it to turn purple. Um, I'm sure people use that for bud appeal, uh, bag appeal, otherwise known. Um, I think I heard that certain spectrums off uh, from your light will actually affect uh, the color of your bud. Is that true?
1: Yeah, so there's a, a decent amount of research into this, actually, um, both for regular plant growth production, like purple kale and purple lettuce and things like that, as well as cannabis. Um, 440 nanometer blue is one that I personally use in my grow light that I built a DIY little rig because I found research that showed not only does it increase anthocyanin production, but it also increases secondary metabolite production in the form of terpenes. So that 440 nanometer blue can make your bag appeal better it turns the bud more purple if it's uh, prone to be a purple strain, but it also increases the terps. So it's gonna smell a little bit more terpene rich. And there are a few other methods that we could talk about for turning a plant purple. Light spectrum, uh, UVA or even UVB, UV is really close to blue in the spectrum of light. If you look at the numbers, like I said, 440 nanometer blue, that's the like, frequency of that wavelength. But if you go over to UVA, it's like, I wanna say like three, in the 300 range, and then UVB is like 280. So um, red on the other hand is like 600, 660 nanometer red, and 730 nanometer red are other colors in the spectrum on the opposite side, just for a reference. So um,
0: I know a lot of people think that in flower, the plant actually likes the red spectrum more than the blue. I know each of those do different things. So you're saying that blue will actually help produce cannabinoids and change the color.
1: Yeah. So it isn't needed in a large amount. A little bit of it will do. Um, I only have like a few Watts of it in my entire spectrum, but there are some blue in a 3,500 K like a typical white cob or led spectrum, like 3000, 3500 K or 4,000 are pretty common grow light spectrums, but red, like you were talking about is more for flower development. So if you see like the HLG R spec, the fluence, Um, Many of these bar style lights, almost all of them now at this point, have some combination of white diodes with red diodes on them. And that's for a reason that red is some of the most photosynthetically active. It may be the most photosynthetically active uh, point on the McCree curve. So it's really good at producing photosynthesis, which in turn produces more flower. The reason a lot of people like blue for veg is it creates tighter internode spacing. So it's like a cell contraction versus cell expansion. Red makes longer stretchier plants but it also produces flowering if you get the right ratios it won't be too stretchy and it can actually increase budset like some people have the hlg uh, 550 v2 which i think uses all samsung uh, lm 301b 3500k diodes and then if you compare that side by side i think spartan grown mentioned this when he went from and it may have been a v1 versus a v2 so it's not the most fair but when he used the r-spec he said even with the same strains he's been running like spartan glue for years and years he got a little bit more yield out of the r-spec side That's crazy.
0: Yeah. um, Now, with the reds too, can't that uh, induce what's called the Emerson effect, which would actually put the plants to sleep faster?
1: So the Emerson effect is a little different than that. Emerson effect is when you combine 660 nanometer red, which is in the par spectrum, with one that's not in the par spectrum. It's 730. is what most people use from rapid LED. Anything above 700 is considered far red. Far red is a flowering initiator. So you can actually make... Buds go and flower a little bit sooner, so like 13 hours of light instead of 12-12, you can run 13 on, 11 off, and still get your bud to flower by running 15 minutes of 730 nanometer red at the end of the cycle. That's a different effect than the Emerson effect, which is you run 660 nanometer red, which is found in most lights like the HLG and most of the other ones. Uh, I was gonna say HLG 550R spec, but a lot of their <laughs> different R specs and many different LED companies have the uh, 660 nanometer red. But when you combine that with 730, imagine I was telling you how um, red is some of the most photosynthetically active on the spectrum. So let's say it's a 10 out of 10 for efficiency of that color. And let's say blue is a nine out of 10, but green is like a six or a seven out of 10. And those, don't quote me on those perfectly, it's just as an example. The 730 is like, because it's not part of the PAR, it's actually more part of BPAR. which is biologically plant-active radiation, which is like uh, 300 to 800 nanometers instead of 400 to 700. That's 700 to 730, that far red. It is like a two on photosynthetic activity when it's by itself. If you just grew with 730 red, you'd have some of the worst growing plants ever, like photosynthesis. It's more to trigger an effect like the Emerson effect or that uh, flowering initiation effect. So what's happening is instead of getting 10 from 660 and two from 730, you would expect 10 plus two equals 12, right? All right. What happens is you don't get 10 plus two. You basically get 10 plus two equals 15 because the synergy effect, just like the entourage effect of cannabis of the 660 nanometer red and the 730, when you use them together, their photosynthesis increases, not from like a 10 and a two. It just, they're, it's so much more efficient than either one of them together. So like even though 660 is amazing on its own, and even though 730 is like okay on its own, if you use them together, they're both even better. So that's the Emerson effect.
0: I mean, I never really thought that, you know, growing a plant, it would adjust and grow differently based on the lights that you have and how you combine the lights that you have.
1: Um, Yeah, both morphology, like how the plant looks, uh, how much the plant can yield, um, and just the overall structure, yeah, like, it's it's an amazing thing and the secondary metabolites even like I was talking about earlier how how the flavor and the smell yeah i mean
0: it's kind of there's so much to know and learn about this plant that i don't feel like anyone will ever figure out everything i feel like it's just ongoing it's just going to keep changing or you know everyone's making new strains that are different i mean i i heard you talk about a strain um with a lot of which THC was THCV, you know, like eleven percent.
1: I mean, yeah, I looked it up. It was actually eleven percent THC and four point five percent THCV, which is still extremely high. Uh, if it has like one percent THCV, it's extremely rare and highly valuable. I think like two three percent is high. There's one called Doug's Varin. Uh, it's called Doug's Varin because I think there's a guy named Doug who found it or it helped his medical condition. And Varin, for those who don't know, THCV is tetrahydrocannabivarin. Varins are a metabolite that cannabis can produce. So um, the strain that we have a friend, she got a uh, thing from my wife's delivery service called pink boost goddess from Flocanna, and it's 11% THC and like 4.5% THCV, but she got a bag seed of that and she popped the seed and it's most likely going to be a female cause it probably selfed like it kind of got stressed threw a little pollen on itself. And made a few seeds. So she found that in the bag of flour that she got nice. and screwed it out. So if it turns out to be anything good, she's going to have taken cuts and hopefully I'll get to work that and do some of my stuff from Subcool STHCV like uh, Chernobyl or Jack the Ripper.
0: So you do do uh, a little bit of breeding then.
1: I'm just, um, just dipping my toe into the breeding field. I've done my first cross. I've got a crew of 30 testers, 25 in the US and five internationally. All the U.S. testers have gotten them. The international testers have not gotten them yet. They haven't gone out yet for them. But I've got a crew of 30 people testing my first uh, cross, and I do plan to do more work in the future with the uh, specific plants that I like for whatever reason. So um,
0: when you're crossing stuff, is there a specific stuff that you're looking for, or are you just you know, trying to come up with a good mix? Um, I'm always, I have...
1: specific. I'm always uh, yeah. For me, if you don't have purpose, then I don't think you should breeding like it it can be fun if you get a really good male for example like uh i just popped some kineos lights and berry lights and i whittled it down to just i decided i'm going to only run the berry lights because the kineos lights was not responding as well in the solo cups to getting a little drier it would get dry too quick and uh the berry lights was looking really healthy the kineos lights was just like if it got a little too dry it started getting ugly leaves and it just didn't seem to be enjoying my soil mix i was like hey i'm I popped X amount of seeds, got X amount of females. I'm going to take the best, healthiest ones as I typically do. And I have males set aside that I'm not going to be breeding with this round. But like if, for example, I was using them to breed, I would grow them out. And like Berry Lights, it's a cross of MOB, Mother of Berries from Maine. It's a blueberry cut. Um, it's supposedly not related to the DJ shortcut, so I'm a little excited to grow it. It doesn't appear to have the... DJ Short blueberry features, like the crinkled leaves and some of the uh, features that you find in the blueberry from DJ Short, but it's crossed to Kineos Lights, which is a Northern Lights 5 back cross for pinene. They're picking for the pine smell. So I'm really excited to see how these three females that I ended up picking, just transplanted them to the one-gallon pots, and uh, they're vegging away now, and soon enough they'll go to three-gallon
0: i do think that's a good thing though like you said um you know trying to breed for a specific reason i know there's a lot of people that they just pollen chuck and uh i know that gives some hate in the community but
1: there's some people that literally you know. pollen chuck because you can buy pollen now so they literally have never even grown a male never grown regular seeds they'll just oh, buy no. pollen from somebody in a little vial or envelope and then chuck it on a plant so that's where the term pollen chucker, i think came from If you're growing actual males out, I think that there's some credibility. Maybe you call them a seed maker. Maybe don't call them a breeder. I call myself an aspiring breeder because I aspire to be a good breeder someday. I'm in the testing process now. I'm not selling anything. Like I just told you, I have 30 testers all around the U.S. and around the world now. And I'm going to be growing some out myself. But like, for example, I was doing Velvet Punch, which is from my buddy Doja DNA. And uh, it's a pretty grapey, gassy strain, but more on the gas and I think gas is pretty common to find with all the OG and chem and stuff that goes around nowadays. So even though grape is also fairly available, like there's grape pie, just something about this particular grape, it was like super artificial grape candy that I really liked. I found out it's an ester called methyl which is what they use for artificial grape candies and medicines, and things like that. It's also produced by cannabis and the right. Concord grape. You wouldn't find it in typical red or green grapes at like the supermarket that you would eat because uh, concord grapes are the purple grape that are used more for wines, jellies, and artificial flavoring. But that being said, I want to make that artificial flavoring flavor basically come out a lot more. And it's kind of like a green and purple striped plant. I'm going to pick for more purple and for more grape. So my intention with this project is to get more and more grapey, less gassy, and more and more purple, less green. And that's like the path that I'm going down. So if in the second generation, I'm not getting that, then I got to go back to square one and find a more grapey female and a different male to potentially work it with.
0: I'm uh, extremely curious to see how that turns out because I did see on your Instagram, uh, I think it was called the velvet punch and man, that thing was full of trichomes. It was crazy looking.
1: Yeah. It was frosty. And uh, believe it or not, that was actually a pollinated plant. All those photos because that was part of the breeding project. Yeah, people always say, oh, when you pollinate a plant, it becomes uh, lacking in trichomes, but it was kind of the opposite of what I found. I definitely got way less yield, the smallest yield I've ever had in my tent setup. But with that being said, I got over a 1,000 seeds off of four plants. So I've got plenty of seeds for myself for a while and uh, plenty to give out to my testers. And the Velvet Punch, I just wanted to give the cross um, to give a little credit to the breeder. Velvet Punch is a cross between purple punch which is Larry OG crossed to Granddaddy Purple and that was crossed to uh, vegan doja aka doja DNA's cookie number seven which is thin mint girl scout cookie crossed to black velvet kush crossed to OG Kush so that's where some of that gas is coming from is the OG Kush. kush.
0: It's crazy that you can remember that whole lineage of everything that it came through. That's insane.
1: I cheated I actually just pulled up my Instagram I'm on my computer over here. I got my Zoom up. And uh, since I'm not on video today, I can have the... I was going to say,
0: that's impressive, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do memorize some of them, like uh, the Doc Holidays. There's a much shorter lineage, but I try to know what it's made up of because especially like when you breed from F1, you get like a mom and a dad, right? So they might be pretty unrelated. Like you see Purple Punch. It has some sort of like there's some OG in there, Um, but it's not similar to it's not completely similar to the cookie seven there's cookies in the cookie seven and so they're different enough that like the mom and the dad the parents are different enough when you have the f1c that's the first cross f1 generation well when you take those and you pop them i can find a male and a female which are like brother and sister and this is something i right. never do with people but you start to inbreed and make an f2 and the f2 generation it doesn't get more stable. It actually gets less stable. You start to see all the stuff from the grandparent generation. So at that F2, I might be more likely to see the Larry OGs, OG Kushes, the Granddaddy Purples and those phenotypes versus like F1. I got a pretty good combination of each parent. Like it was either like leaned this way, leaned that way or a combination of each parent where F2, it's kind of like all over the place. And then at F2, you make your selections of like, oh, I like that more grapey pheno at F2. So I'm going to take that one to make the F3, F4, F5, et cetera. Yeah, that's,
0: that's something that I do uh, look for when I am looking for a breeder is, you know, did they run through the phenotypes to find the best ones? Did they stress test it? Um, I actually go as far as to trying to find out what they grew with, if it was cocoa or soil. I uh, I believe that trying to breed or trying to follow the breeders um, way of cultivating it is probably one of the better ways to grow it because it's like used to that and i don't know if that's true but
1: i think there's I, some truth to it for sure because in some cases there's literally microbes uh like for example there's a guy who grows in michigan-made mix which is what what i grow in um key play of gauge green group so if i was to go buy some gauge green seeds they're coming from the same soil and like another guy um who i personally just don't like for certain reasons that I wouldn't grow his stuff anymore, uh, mass medical strains. He also grows in the M3 and he also grows under cobs with a mixed spectrum like my own. So if I was to grow stuff right. from him, it would be basically pre-acclimated to my soil and my style where I just give water only. He just gives water only. We're both in the same soil, both growing under similar lighting. So there's a lot less adaptation. Like OG Kush for a long, long time was grown in rock wool and hydroponics under high pressure sodium lights. So I think that it runs really well in hot rooms. It does really well when it's fertilized heavy, where a lot of stuff like Girl Scout cookies, it doesn't do well when it's run with heavy fertilizer or lots of light. It actually tends to like the shadier parts of the room or being run under like LEDs. So there's a lot to be learned about the specific strains cultivars out there and how they're best operating and, and where they're from. You know What, what did they originate from? What, did they, what were they grown under? What did they adapt to? Because right. a lot of the time it's not outdoor anymore. It's not like, oh, this is some Mexican or this is some Thai where it was in that place for generation after generation. It's like, oh, this was in this guy's grow room, maybe for a decade, maybe for a month. <laughs> you know, it could be a lot right. of different stuff.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if they grew out, you know, a bunch of different phenos of it and did multiple runs with it, I mean, that's even longer that it's been in there. Uh, so, I mean, would that even go as far back as to where the original plants came from? Like if a plant came from Africa, I mean, would you want to, you know, try and mimic that environment?
1: I think it can help. Like, if you know, let's say your first run, I tend to tell people, um, if they have enough headspace to grow something more equatorial or like a sativa, as some people would call it, like a haze lineage, because it's going to be able to handle more heat, handle more humidity and, uh, less likely to get mold and mildew where some stuff like Afghans, they're short and stout and really uh, good yielders and they're frosty and a lot of people like them for indoor because they are fast cycles and they are just uh, hybridized into a lot of what's grown indoor. But that being said, if um, they don't have dehumidification on point or if they don't have airflow, right, they could get a lot of portritus and molds and things like that. Or if it's super hot, it might not do as well in some cases where like a haze that's used to being like the equatorial sun Haze is actually a mix of a bunch of different sativas, <laughs> but right. most of them are exposed to that really, really high intense UV and uh, just lots of hours of like direct, uh, the closer you get to the equator, the more intense the sun gets for people that don't know. Uh, even though they get less hours of light, it's basically like 12-12 in many places like Columbia. Um, Hawaii is like 11-13 or 12-12, like basically year round. So a lot of these places, the plants are um, getting used to that intense light. And they won't flower until they're like big enough to flower. It's a whole different weird thing with the outdoor in those places. But uh, it it teaches you a lot about what a plant can handle and what it can't handle and uh, how to try and best run your grow room. Yeah,
0: I mean, especially for the hotter areas like in Los, uh, Los Angeles or Southern California, close to where you're by. I'm sure you try and find strains that are a little more used to heat. I mean, if you're not running AC and just exhausting air, I'm sure it gets pretty hot in there. So.
1: The highest it got this year at the hottest point in the summer was 86 in my grow room with LEDs, with lights on it. I don't think that's too terrible. Uh, no, that sounds pretty good. 78 to 82, which is like what I'd consider pretty ideal for an LED room. Um, but I'm lucky because I'm very coastal, so it never gets above like 90 here. It's like usually between 50 and 80 degrees. Uh, more so like 60 to 75 most of the year that sounds beautiful <laughs> it's paradise yeah. People vacation where i live it's kind of a trip
0: yeah that's that's pretty insane i mean it's gotta be nice though and i mean it's like perfect temperatures for growing as far as from what i know leds like to run a little bit warmer so i think it has yeah, something to do with that Radiative heat, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, you go off your leaf tent, which I mean, there's still stuff that we're learning. Uh, I mean, I feel like we're just never gonna stop learning about this awesome plant, and hopefully, it goes uh, legal federally, legal so no one can get you know sent to prison or in any trouble anymore. Um, I did actually hear that the U.S. has a patent on uh, a certain cult or a certain type of
1: THC, I believe. which but they is have a crazy. few different patents. They have uh, neuroprotective properties, um, but yeah, they have definitely patented medical properties of cannabis and they descheduled CBD so that uh, they could sell it in all 50 States and basically not have to change the scheduling of cannabis. Interestingly, they scheduled the CBD, which is an isolated version to be taken out That's, of the uh, scheduling. Yeah, it just doesn't seem right. So, I mean, they need a little bit of money. I'll for I de-crim, not legalization, by the way, because As I've seen with legalization in California, it's usually um, there's guys like billionaires like George Soros who are donating millions of dollars to get cannabis legalized in certain states so that themselves and their buddies who have multi-million dollars to get permits and, and to go through all this stuff can get into the industry and shut everybody else out. They don't want to have mom and pop craft producers. Many of them don't even want to have home grow be legalized. So I think we need to push for decriminalization on a federal level we need to push for home grow in whatever state medical or legalization uh, for adult use is pushed because without home grow you're at sort of the will of whoever's growing it and they might uh, even if they test for pesticides it might have molds and mildews that slip through some of the testing I've had that happen to me in the legal market out here cookies their Georgia pie at p.m. and it got my wife extremely sick for several days she had two days where she was throwing up and had headaches after smoking Bud that had passed mold and mildew testing, and I looked at the bud after, in the bag that was remaining, and sure enough, there was PM. And I just thought, oh, I it was safe. I wouldn't have to, you know, check it because it passed all this stringent testing. So I thought, but nothing's going to be better than I think the stuff that you can produce yourself at home because you put that love and that quality care and time into every single plant, and making sure that the inspection's done. Like I told you earlier, I, I found a little bit of bortritis and didn't have to consume it because on the home scale, you can go through each bud and make sure that you never have that problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the benefit to growing your own and especially where you are, it's legal to do that. So you may as well take advantage of it and just try and find the best strains for you and grow them the best that you can. And obviously you're pretty uh, knowledgeable at this already. So I'm sure uh, you're doing just fine.
1: I'm having fun with it that's for sure and more so than anything I'm really enjoying the time with the community Uh, I follow 7,500 growers on my main account at Jack Greenstock And I've made a backup account just in case mine gets deleted uh, Jack underscore Greenstock where I can follow new growers I don't follow the same pages there just in case I get up to another 7,500 I don't want to like have uh, everything doubled up But I'm not posting over there yet but I do follow new people and I love to see all the different gardens And learning not only from my own mistakes or pest issues or mold issues, but everybody's, you know, learning from the mistakes and successes of everyone's gardens across Instagram, who has a public garden or even a private page who allows me to follow them and see their stuff and see their grows through. And I've given out a bunch of free advice and people come to me with unhealthy plants. I ask them a few questions. We work out what the issue is and they get their plant healthy. And then they're telling me how thankful they are. And it's like, that's a really rewarding experience just to be able to answer a few questions and get somebody on their way to having much better uh, quality and and higher returns on their harvest. It's an empowering thing. And I'm glad that you're getting into the podcast community as well. Talking buds, just two buds here. I was uh, smoking on some peach, a little vape that my wife got at work. And uh, it's pretty delicious over here. But yeah, it's it's keeping me chatty and been having a good time so far. Episode one, talking buds. This is Jack Greenstock. Um,
0: you're actually on a couple of podcasts yourself because we were talking about uh, Talking Buzz this being the first episode. Um, is there a couple of shows that you're on?
1: Yeah, so I've actually got one today. I do uh, as part of the Cheap Home Grow Podcast Network. I'm the host of a show called Growing With My Fellow Growers, where many of the people probably know me from. I have my own show, uh, Greenstalk Talks, which has been kind of on the back burner while I'm writing my books. And I also go on a show called, uh, I don't know if I should say it right now because uh, the person in the room with you, I don't know if it's appropriate, but another one I've done is called the Michigan Bros Grow Show. Uh, so yeah, definitely on a few podcasts in the community and I try to do my own as well. But it's, uh, the cannabis community is amazing. There's really a lot of awesome people. And really, I do most of it because I learn from the questions that people ask or from the other content that the people on the panel uh, share.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're a consultant. I don't know if uh, you mentioned that, right?
1: I think I may have at the beginning um, before we switched over from the anchor to the zoom, but yeah, I do some private consulting uh, with as large as like a professional grows in, in legal countries like Canada um, with licensed producers of thousands of plants and as little as like a one tent closet grow. So if people would like something more than just like DMS and advice. I do video calls where um, they can pay a fee that we negotiate um, through the DMS. And then we can do like 15 minutes, half hour, hour, whatever. And um, they usually ask me a few questions beforehand. And then we go through a video and they usually walk me through their cultivation space. And I can offer some suggestions on where to improve or uh, just answer their questions as they plan to do a build out and things like that.
0: So, I mean, if someone wanted to do that, they could either uh, message you on Instagram at Jack Greenstock or could they reach out to the Cheap Home Grow Network?
1: Uh, Yeah, there's actually a thing on the Cheap Home Grow page. If you click on it, it ends up going to Shane and it sends him an email that he ends up just screenshotting and sending to me. So if you have a specific question that you want to write out long form, you can do that. You can also email me at Jack Greenstock or just Jack Greenstock 47 at gmail.com. I rarely check the Gmail. I'm more likely to answer my DM. So if you're like, hey, I'd like to schedule a little video consulting. I'm pretty busy right now, to be honest. So I do have a client going out of town for a week uh, coming up here in a little bit. So I'll have some hours available on that week. But when I do, I'm always happy to help people learn to grow their own. And um, if they need more help, like I said, with a video call where it's something more professional and I have to dedicate my entire time to it where it's not just like answering a question um, via DM, then I'll dedicate whatever amount of time, uh, whether it's 10, 15 minutes, half an hour or a full hour, I'm more than happy to do a little uh, video call. And with something like this, we could even set it up where I could record the call and then send it to them afterwards so that they could watch it back if they wanted to do something like that.
0: That is uh it's pretty personal. And I highly recommend anyone that needs any help to reach out to Jack uh, Me and Jack have been talking for some time now and he may or may not have been helping me with a couple issues I've had in micro. And I mean, you're fairly cheap, so I don't understand uh, why people want to hit you up, you know, and you know, it's kind of hard to find someone that will record a phone call and, you know, come up with that idea. So obviously people that have listened to you on any platform probably know by now that you're extremely intelligent especially in the cannabis uh, community and probably have seen most if not all problems and have dealt with them in some sort of way.
1: Well, so, I really appreciate those kind words. Um, I definitely have seen many many problems um, whether they're in my own garden or my buddy's gardens here locally or across the world and the states and international. It's crazy to think that I've got people in Canada and the UK and Australia so many different places it's really it's almost unbelievable but then when I actually start to talk to them and see photos of their gardens and hear their accents and experiences it's a really an international plant the international herb is uh one song refers to it as but I yeah, mean I definitely like to uh, do this type of work as much as uh, anything they say if you love what you do it's not work at all so I, that's part of the reason that I try to keep my price very affordable um, you know most home growers don't have a ton of cash to throw around, so I try to be more reasonable for people like that. And uh, just spreading the, the good word and helping people as much as I can.
0: For sure. And, I mean, if anyone wants to listen to your your podcast, it's on most podcast platforms. I believe it was Jack Greenstock, correct?
1: So uh, the my podcast is called Greenstock Talks. I've got four episodes of that, but more... Uh, I guess uh, common. I'm on YouTube uh, for a live show, the Cheap Home Grow YouTube channel. It's called Growing with My Fellow Growers, and that comes on the West Coast here in an hour for me. I know that this is going to be recorded, edited, and released later on, but every week at 4 p.m. Pacific time, we have Growing with My Fellow Growers, which is me and a panel of anywhere from like five to 10 other growers. One of the guys is like a pest management expert and research person. We've got a PhD in horticulture on there. We've got people who build their own lights we've got people who grow in soil hydro a little bit of everything on there so it's always like a round table of growers and it's a good time I really enjoy that and I'll be like I said doing that in about an hour so this is like my little warm-up for that podcast and uh, that's live on YouTube so people can find that but you can also like I said find me on basically all podcast platforms um, breaker (laughs) iTunes Apple um, Google Play stitcher there's a whole bunch of them it's uh, listed on my at jack greenstock page if you go to the podcast save story
0: yeah and once again i totally recommend everyone to check him out uh i really do appreciate you coming on for the first episode of talking buds Hey, thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Uh, We got a couple more guests coming on in the following weeks. I really hope you guys tune back in and check it out. Once again, thanks for joining us on Talking Buds. Thank you to Jack. We appreciate you joining us as well. And we'll see you guys next week.